0: welcome to scotch parlor i'm rick scotch your host of the scotch parlor podcast where we capture lifestyles and share stories of inspiring people that bring motivation knowledge and entertainment to our community life is good let's get started Welcome to Scotch Parlor. I'm your host, Rick Scotch on the Scotch Parlor podcast. Today, we're introducing a new topic-based podcast format where we're not only just speaking with inspiring people and hearing their stories, but we're also getting their thoughts and insights from our Scotch Parlor guests on that particular topic. Starting this format, we have two lifelong entrepreneurs and business partners with us today, Jeffrey Philberg and Steve Wells. I want to thank you gentlemen for your time, your story, and your knowledge. They're here to share the entrepreneurial journeys and cover the first Scotch Potter podcast topic, which will be five successful traits of entrepreneurs. And I just want to do a give you guys, everybody, a quick background on these two gentlemen before I let them give their, their introductions. They both have two decades of entrepreneurial experience. They founded and built and sold an e-learning company. So at that, I'll just go ahead and let you guys introduce yourself and, and we'll go from there.
1: Well, hey Rick, this is Jeffrey, and an absolute pleasure to be here. And thank you for having us on the show. Thank you, thank you.
2: And uh, this is uh, Steve Wells, and I, again, likewise, I look forward to uh, talking to you and uh, meeting your new listeners.
1: So, where are you guys originally from? Uh, you know, my myself, I'm from, I'm born and raised in Toronto, Canada. Really, first generation Canadian, and uh, I've been. Uh, I've been here, still based here, and uh, loving it.
2: I grew up mainly in Florida. I mean, I I was born in Washington, D.C., but by the time I was very young, I was back down in Florida and have multiple generations of Floridians in in my heritage. So uh, uh, that's where I grew up.
0: Cool, 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 cool. So then do you guys – so you, Jeffrey, you currently live in Toronto full-time as far as –
1: I, I do. I live in Toronto uh, full time, although uh, most of our business activities are, are U.S. based. So uh, between uh, Toronto and uh, and the U.S. is uh, where you'll find me.
0: See, okay, all right, yeah.
1: See, I was noticing
0: when I was doing a little research, I was like, okay, some of these are U.S. based companies, and and uh, kind of go from there. But so we can kind of go into your actual the big business that you guys founded, uh, Eminent. How did that come about?
1: What was the process on that? You know, Embanet. It's uh, it's an interesting story, and what uh, hopefully what will come out of the story for your listeners are some of the principles that we're going to be talking about today, Rick. In terms of at least what myself and and Steve focus on, Embanet in in the simplest form came out of a, a problem, and the problem initially started with um, uh, myself. I was doing my MBA program, and we were just meeting too much. This was before the internet. Came uh, to, to what it was. It was just starting. This is back in 1995, uh, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And Embonet uh, was there uh, in, in my MBA program of how can I do more in less time? How can I in, actually enjoy the program without having to drive to campus to meet up with my group and have all the hassles in, in between all of that? Mm-hmm. Worked really well with the group. Actually transformed the way we, we went from the the worst group to the best group in the class. Uh, I wish I could have done the same thing for my hair. I had a a, a head full of thick hair uh, when I entered the <laughs> MBA program. And, and from the stress, I lost most of it and never recovered uh, to this day. Uh, but it uh, it transformed us as, as the group. I uh, later introduced that to the rest of the school. And it took the school by wildfire and, and really made a difference. And then looking around after graduating, I said, okay, if we did this at the school, could we help other MBA programs? And, and the answer was yes. So initially, Embinet started solving the problem of helping schools to get their, their courses and their programs online and then keeping the students in the seats. And that was really uh, part one. That was with myself and another business partner uh, whose name is Waleska. So we we did Mbanet one and uh, or what we call Mbanet one, but we always ask the question of okay, we're we're helping uh, these programs and these schools become the rock stars in their particular area because they're they're keeping all the students in the seats and and they're doing a terrific job at that. But how do we put ourselves out of business? It's great that we have some success, and and when I say success, success took five years it was was not overnight and a lot of blood sweat and tears to to get there but when we started to get some success we began looking around of where's the next where's the next innovation if we're going to go out of business let it be us who puts ourselves out of business and not somebody else and what does that look like and that's where steve entered it into the the picture steve do you want to pick up the story from there and, and talk a little bit about that
2: Sure. Uh, At the same time, I was working in um, kind of a similar industry, but looking at it from a different point of view, looking at it from really a marketing point of view and how to develop relationships with the university, which we were doing uh, university degree programs uh, eventually uh, when we had created Mbinet Knowledge Group, as it would be called. And so Jeffrey and I met at a conference, and it was really from that point on, we saw where we could take two complementary visions and two complementary skill sets and build something big and something that probably, to our best knowledge, really had never been done mm-hmm. at least to that level before, and it was combining uh, with the foundation that Jeffrey had created with um, a different business model and a, um, a kind of a marketing solution for the universities, and 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 that was what uh, took off.
1: Oh wow! Okay, so then, how long did you guys run the company? We, you know, we ran the company from, from the very uh, beginning when the company started until we sold it, it was 13 years. Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Was your goal to sell this company or is it just kind of, that's the way the route it
1: went? It's a, you know what, Rick, it's a terrific question and it's something that every entrepreneur asks of, should I sell my company? And if I am going to sell, when would the best time to sell actually be? And in in our case, what was interesting was we, we, we had talked about selling occasionally. What actually accelerated the process was we had a, a Fortune 10 company had approached us. Mm-hmm. We had at at that point we began we had just terrific traction and obviously we, we got on the radar, but we didn't know what we didn't know. We weren't prepared. We knew we weren't prepared. We knew we were not ready to sell. Opportunity came knocking though, and we said to ourselves, okay. Let's commit that we're going to go through this process. It's if, if nothing else, it's going to be a terrific education. We're going to find out where our blind spots are because a blind spot is exactly that is a blind spot. You don't know what's there. So we went through the process. The, the buyer was smart. He was sophisticated and experienced and the uh, the offer that he came back with showed all of that uh, mm-hmm. and it showed how unprepared we were and and he knew we weren't prepared and, and the offer reflected that and so the offer came back as a, a seven-figure offer that was based off of three times of our our profits or our EBITDA, mm-hmm. and it was at that point we said, okay, well, now we really know what we didn't know, and, <laughs> and we know we're, we're not ready to sell, but we do know that we're not prepared. And and not being prepared is is not uh, a good thing. Um, and as, as blind as we were to uh, the whole thing of selling a company, what we realized, which wasn't uh, really clear to us in the beginning, the best practices of selling a company, when you follow those, actually give you the best kind of company you could ever have. So whether you end up selling your company or you don't sell your company. When you go through the exercise of preparing your company to sell, you have the best of, of both worlds. And so it was on the spot that all of us committed to mastering the art of the sale. Because what we realized was entrepreneurs are terrific at starting some things but we're not great at taking a company over the finish line and, and selling it. And the buyers know this. The buyers are waiting for the entrepreneur to, to make a mistake. And, and if we're going to be open and honest about it, every mistake that the owner of the company makes, it's money, literally money in the pocket of the buyer. Hmm. And so that's where we dove headfirst into the art of the sale We started looking around. We spoke to everyone and anyone, entrepreneurs that were fabulously successful in selling their company, advisors, investment bankers, entrepreneurs who failed at selling their company and and what happened. And it was through that process that we, uh, quite uh, frankly, we were shocked with what we saw because the odds are against the entrepreneur, but knowledge is power. And once we had that, we began to create our own playbook, our own formula, if you will, how we were going to sell the company. And Steve, maybe you want to pick up the story of what happened when the next phase came about, when we're actually ready to sell the company of you know what happened and, and uh, what we're able to do.
2: Well, when we'd gone through the discipline of preparing for sale and, and getting our company ready, which quite frankly... takes about two years, and it took us about two years to do that. At that point, we were then in a position to put ourselves out in the marketplace in a very strategic way and look for the best type of um, uh, team to bring us to market. And in our case, they were investment bankers, they were lawyers, they were accountants that we had to prepare uh, our company. But we also prepared our product just beside the company. I mean, we prepared to create a reoccurring revenue model that gave a lot of uh, runway and, and projection to someone who might want to buy us. We we created um, um, a real replicable system that uh, someone who, who came into our company could be more assured that they're going to reproduce what we have, have built. And so all those things really created uh, a huge value for us. And and really through that process, we'll really address it now, there are things that we didn't Prepare for that. But it probably did cost us, and I mean, you know, if there were seven or ten things you need to do, we didn't do every one of them, but we did. It, we did a majority of them that uh, that that helped and give us a significant significant increase in that original three time EBITDA to around thirteen time EBITDA in, like I said, really about two years. So not, the company grew a little bit, but it wasn't the growth of the company. It was really our Preparedness and our a way we positioned and uh, and found the, the correct buyer. And in our case, we had multiple buyers bidding for us. Wow! So in the end, we, we had an auction that was going after us. So um, anyway, we can talk more about that if that's uh, something we want to address on this uh, particular call.
0: Yeah, no, that I mean that's that's all, I mean that's probably the one of the best experiences, though, as far as the, being in the auction process that you wanted So as a, as a company. So that's pretty awesome. So then, I mean, and you kind of covered it. And what I go into always learning as you go, it, it did sound like through the whole process, you were, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're always learning, learning, learning. And in this case, just getting your company prepared to have the opportunity to sell. But what would you say... What's one learning experience that, as an entrepreneur and or even as a business owner now, that you could share that's been very
1: very valuable to you? You know, entrepreneurs will start a company. I, I'm going to say likely because, and hopefully because they're passionate to solve a problem that's painful for for many people. And it's so painful that people will pay that entrepreneur to take the pain away and and solve the problem. And that's terrific and it's great. What I learned back then and, and what I, I would put out there for your community, Rick, of, of entrepreneurs to take from, from our, our time together here, it's not enough. Just to start something and to solve a problem is terrific, but it's just the beginning And the takeaway should also be, how am I going to prepare myself for down the road when I'm successful? Because your story is going to change. Life is going to change. The marketplace is going to change. Are you going to keep the company forever or are you going to sell it? And for me, I I have a saying that when you only have one option on the table, that's, that's never a choice. Two is a dilemma and 3 is when you really have a choice. So when you have three different options to choose from, now you're talking. When you prepare your company to sell and and Steve was uh, you know right on target saying as a minimum you you're going to need about 2 years. If you really want to do it properly, you're probably looking at 3 years and and depending how sophisticated you want to get, even up to 7 or 8 years or or beyond. And so starting a company, uh, it's not unrealistic at the same time to begin to put the best practices in place. of What do I need to do to get ready to sell the company, even though I may never sell it? And like we spoke about, that would be things surrounding yourself with the right kind of advisors, tax advisors, legal advisors, strategic advisors, advisors who are going to help you through the sale, begin now to establish that relationship with them so that when you're ready, you're ready, and you're not scrambling at the last minute to, to find out. Because what what we found out was when we went through the process, uh, because we were learning and running the company at the same time and getting ready to uh, to eventually sell – it takes a lot of time and focus, and in, in our case, as much as we, we tried to keep the focus on the business, it was very difficult to do, and, and some of our focus was taken off of the business and put into the uh, actual transaction itself. Uh, in, you know, I, Ideally, if you can take the time to prepare, you'll have a, a healthier company, a stronger company, and, and you'll likely have a company that will have a higher value.
0: Okay. And then, uh, Steve, what about you? What's, is it going to be a similar learning experience, or you have something different as far as... Oh,
2: you know, yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many, but, yeah. you know, I guess one, if I were to think about it right now, is we can control a lot of things in our life and our world. I mean, we can prepare for a lot of things, but there's some things we cannot prepare for, and one of them is time and it's opportunity, so we, we think we know that, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to plan this and this, and at this date, here's where I'm going to, in this case, sell our company. You never know. You never know what time a market could change. The opportunity comes sooner. Someone could come along. So while you have to be very intentional in the preparation, the timing is going to vary. So that's why it's mm-hmm. so important to get your product, to get, to get your company, to get your team, to get everything ready, even if you think it's far off. Because you don't know really when that moment is that you're going to pull that trigger. Or you may not sell. Maybe you want to just um, merge. Maybe you want to have leverage to add debt to your business. I mean, you have lots and lots of options. And the time is an interesting thing in life. I mean, it keeps going. And we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But we need to be prepared for it. So that that was kind of revolutionary, I guess, to me to think about that.
0: That's cool. That's cool. All right. Well then, uh, so then just kind of talking specifically to you guys as entrepreneurs and to go back in through your journey, when did you two know you were meant to be your own
1: bosses? Uh, you know, Rick, I'm, I'm laughing as, uh, to myself as, as you say that because I, I'm, I'm thinking back. I, I knew early on I would likely be a, an entrepreneur. I, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, yeah. uh, watching my father, watching my uncle. So I was very fortunate to have those role models in my life. What really sealed the deal for me was I uh, had a summer job. I, I was working at a, a cellular phone company at the head office And while I was working there uh, during work hours as well, I'm I'm embarrassed to say um, I was also running a side business at at the time I was selling computer parts. And I I knew then I said, okay, uh, I am just not a nine to five guy or even a corporate guy. That's just not within me. I, I, I um, uh, love creating, and I, I felt like uh, the proverbial bird in a cage when I, I was working for someone else. And, and truth be told, uh, I would have fired myself the first day on the job <laughs> if, if I were my boss. So I, I, I knew then that, hey, uh, Jeffrey, uh, whatever you do is likely going to be on your own, starting your own thing, and, uh, and, and getting out there. So uh, I, I knew that uh, early on. Mm-hmm. What about you, Steve?
2: Yeah, likewise. My story is very similar. I mean, I knew in fifth grade, I was running to Seven Eleven on my bike, buying candy, <laughs> bringing it to fifth grade, oh God, and I reselling it, and have, <laughs> <laughs> having a ledger. And this, you know, this is my early in my business career. Obviously, but then I realized that regulatory and 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 distribution can really impact your business when the teachers and the and the, and the <laughs> school authorities and the mothers of the other kids came down to me and said you got to stop this operation so <laughs> i learned that's an right. early lesson but yeah. it never really stopped i mean from paper routes to recording companies to photography companies and it, okay. it, it, it was something i always knew i would be doing something in, in business for myself
0: that's cool yeah no i had a, a similar story with the in fifth grade too me and my best friend would go down to 7-Eleven get the the long jolly ranchers and take them back to school but it wasn't in well my thing I was doing for a non-profit in the sense of like I wasn't getting paid I was trying to get the the girls attention by giving them candy so that that was my monetary my monetary value in that but yeah no similar similar story that's crazy (laughs) so then as far as uh guys uh, So I created this acronym, WIDWID, which is what it means is why I do what I do. And it, what it comes down to is what's your inspiration. So if I had to say, Jeffrey, what is your WIDWID? What would you say? What is your inspiration?
1: Why do you do what you do? Uh, you know, for me, that, that uh, is, is an easy one. And I, I recognize early on, at the core of everything that I do, I love to help people. For me, walking into a situation and leaving it a better situation, helping somebody get to where they want to go, that's really what I'm all about. And I I learned early on, not only is that my fuel, uh, fortunately, I, I saw that if I can help enough people get what they want, eventually and over time, I'll be able to get what I want and not the other way around the orders. Very specific. Help other people fir- first, and then you can go back and and look to to help yourself. So everything that I do, I'm I'm asking the question: Okay, how can I be of value? How can I be of service? Can I help this person? What would that look like? And and what I, I like to do, I, I have a little acronym of my own, Rick, that I'll mm-hmm. I'll share with Please. you and and your community. And I like to tune into one of the most popular radio stations in the world. It's called WIIFM the what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I I realize it's not just enough to help people. I need to help people in a way that's meaningful for them. And so what's in it for them? What what do they really want out of this situation? And can I help them with that? And, and if I can't help them with that, do I know somebody who can, or can I point them in the r- right direction to to do that? And, and so for me, that's my inspiration is not, nothing brings a, a smile more to my face than, than knowing that I was able to pay it forward, that I was able to have someone uh, create a better life, make a difference in, in their community, and achieve the goals that they've been looking to achieve. Wow,
0: that's awesome. What about you, Steve? What about you?
2: Yeah, I I'm, I would echo a lot of what Jeffrey said, but and also in addition, I believe that our Creator made us for certain purposes, and I believe that many of us were designed for business. I think we were we were made, and it was a calling. As anyone might have a spiritual calling, we have a calling to use our skills and our God-given skills to put them into the marketplace to help other people, to create value in society, and to to fully recognize and fulfill what I believe God has made us to do. So I, I kind of feel it's a a passion. It's a calling. It's something... I don't ever think I could not have done. I mean, it was just something I needed to do. So whenever I'm involved in business and now even particularly helping other people, um, I get re-energized by that and I get that sense and I see it in other people and I want to help them realize what they have and what they can do and what they can bring to the world through the, the things that I think they've been given inside their character and their skill. And um, so that, that really gets me charged up.
0: That's awesome, guys. That's, those are beautiful widwids. I love that. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. So then, let's go into uh, now the topic that we were going to cover. And I, you also said wonderful things as far as kind of highlighted some throughout our conversation. But we'll just kind of put specifically what are five traits that successful traits of entrepreneurs that you guys have seen over time or you guys kind
1: of you guys witnessed? It's a great question. And what I'll oh, oh. Share, Rick. Uh, firstly, is it's different for everyone. Yeah, uh, all of us come at it from a, a different perspective with different skill sets. Uh, I, I know for myself what's what's worked for me, and when I haven't done this, it it hasn't worked. So for myself, it would be grit, grit, uh, just sticking it out, having the determination to see it through is so important. You know, I, I think it was Woody Allen uh, that said, 90% of success is showing up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as simple as it sounds, I, I found in my own career that that really is the the, the case. Uh, day in, day out, just the consistency of sticking with something and going through it. You know, when I began Embinet, it was out of my parents' attic and I had graduated from my MBA program Looking around, my friends had these big corporate contracts that they were doing. They were buying cars, buying homes, going on vacations. And then here was Jeffrey (laughs) out of his parents' attic with nothing to to show for it, except for my grit that tomorrow is going to be a better day. When I didn't have any customers, I was making phone calls. My my voice would become hoarse. I physically would be tired, but I'd say I'm I'm just gonna keep on keeping on and wake up the next day and go back at it again. And following that, uh, right in there is the passion. If you don't have the passion, uh, I found in my experience, if the passion's not there, it's just not going to happen. And passion is the rocket fuel for success. That's what I found in in my experience. When I'm passionate about something and I'm passionate about solving a problem that's painful for many people, that's where it's going to begin and that's when it's going to end. Take Mm -hmm. the passion out and you have a real issue now and it's time to look around and and figure out how do you get the passion back? So grit, passion, and certainly going the extra mile. You know, we we live today, unfortunately, in a society and, and with social media uh, leading the charge with this, it everyone expects. Uh, I shouldn't say everyone, most people expect instantaneous results, and it's all about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found going the extra mile, and again, W I I F M, going the extra mile for other people. How can you help them? How can I make a difference? No, I don't have to do this, but I am going to do this. Mm-hmm. And and the key that I found is going the extra mile and expecting nothing absolutely nothing in return because i found when i go the extra mile it's not just a habit it becomes a life and a lifestyle and i now do that in in all areas of my life and it makes a difference it stands out and and the great news is most people don't do it so you quickly stand out from the crowd because you are going the the extra mile and when you look at all those things, grit, passion, going the extra mile, uh, I found uh, just wanting to solve problems, uh, uh, just being a, a trait of being curious. Well, why is it like this? Just because it's always been like this, does it have to be like this? And just because someone says that it can't be done, can it be done? And and that curiosity I found has treated me very well uh, when I became an entrepreneur and and started uh, started my company and uh, Rick just uh, rounding things out on on the fifth one uh, is something that I know you aspire to and that's always be learning. Mm-hmm challenging myself, you know, whether it's reading a book, listening to a podcast, going through a blog, uh, whatever it is, I just uh, feeding my mind all kinds of things. And, uh, knowing that uh, along the way, it's going to help make a difference. And wh- one of my favorite things to do is reading biographies, mm-hmm. because th- think about it. When you read a biography, uh, particularly uh, about a successful person, you're taking 50, 60, 70, maybe 80 years and you're learning that in a few hours. Yeah. And that person can be alive today or they can no longer be with us. But when you read the biography it doesn't make a difference and and they can be incredibly famous uh, or not. But you have access to them and through the biography and you have access to the best practices and their success secrets. And growing up, some of my my best friends were the entrepreneurs from former years who are no longer with us, but who wrote books or had books written about them that I could learn what worked for them, what didn't work for them, and then apply that to what I was doing. And even though it was in different industries, even from a different era, I found that's when it was particularly powerful and worked very well because it was different. And I approached something in a way that others hadn't thought about before and was able to do tremendous things with that.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that it's so true, especially with the last, what you said about biographies and being able to read it in, a, in 80 years of knowledge in, in a few hours if, if you read that book in one day. It's so very true. And Steve, was there anything that you wanted to add to that on top of the five
2: Um, You know, I would maybe uh, embellish or maybe add a couple little highlights that are probably uh, inside embedded in those five that (laughs) Jeffrey mentioned, and one is overcoming any fear of failure. I know early on, um, and I have to credit my mom, who, after my father died, raised us and was a, really an entrepreneur herself, really <laughs> rising through Mary Kay and those types of things. And, and she always told us, and, uh, and all her children are entrepreneurs, believe it or not. She said, you know, what are you afraid of? I mean, who is somebody going to die? And, you know, I'm sure there are situations that are more dangerous, but in business, generally, someone's not going to die. I mean, so what are you afraid of trying? I mean, really, what's the big fear, particularly when you're younger and you may not even be supporting a family? And, you know, I found in my life, I failed many more times than I succeeded. But my failures were smaller and my, my successes were much larger. Mm-hmm. And so failure is something almost to be embraced. It's almost like in the, the classic sales books that you read. Listen, you're going to go on 10 people, you're going to get nine rejections, and maybe you get one sale. Mm-hmm. So every rejection, just embrace it and say, Good. I got one less rejection to overcome. And, you know, a lot of people have a hard time with that, not even in just sales, but in life and in business. And I believe you only learn through failure. So you want to make lots of little failures and correct yourself so that you're ready to see where that, when that success comes. And the other point is, I don't think I've met an entrepreneur, and I could be wrong, that is not. Good communicator. Now, this doesn't mean they have to be someone who you're going to want to go pay money to watch them give a speech, or you know they're going to be some beautiful person in front of a camera. But they have to sell. They're going to have to sell their concept to at least to, to the team around them. Mm-hmm. So. That And part of this, I think, is wrapped up in the first point. If you're afraid, if you don't believe in your concept, and if you're timid, you're not going to be a good communicator. So even through failures, and those can't set you back. They just have to move you forward. You're going to have to communicate yourself and your company or your product in some way. And I think those are two very important concepts and keys that I see in myself but also other entrepreneurs.
0: Awesome, awesome. Those are unbelievable insights. And I love the traits that you guys have, have talked about. And I think there's a lot of knowledge to be heard there and, and to be inspired by. So with, besides business and being entrepreneurs, there's also the aspect of living life. Life is good. And, uh, you know, we have one life. So with that, we'll kind of have a little bit of more on the fun side of life and travels where if you guys, would you guys have one place that you guys would recommend to visit?
1: I, it's a, it's a great uh, great question and uh, as you say that Rick I'm just thinking through um, the different places that, that I've been. Uh, you know, for, for myself, um, when I'm not in Toronto, my, my home away from home is Miami. I lo- love the place, uh, particularly with our cold uh, northeast winters. Uh, I love uh, love going there. But what what I found when I, I've traveled and, you know, when I first started, I, I didn't really travel anywhere. Uh, and any travels that, that I did was uh, mainly for business and, and it's only been recently that that I've been fortunate enough to to begin to experience uh, other parts of of the world and uh, outside of north america and what what I found with the travels lots of beautiful places that that I can you know rhyme off but what really stands out for me in in the travels is uh, just the opportunity of meeting up with with different people mm-hmm. seeing what they're all about uh, you know, when we talk a little bit about our cigars, and and Steve and I are are fortunate to have our own cigar. We've been yes. to Nicaragua, and uh, Nicaragua is a, a beautiful country with beautiful people. Uh, when when you look at uh, the people in Nicaragua and and you compare their lifestyle, say to uh, you know here uh, in in North America, from a material perspective, there's no comparison, and and I I say that without judgment. What I do find, and and it, it never ceases to amaze me. Is how happy they are. And so early on that, that taught me that, you know, you can travel the world, you can visit every single country that, that's there, but if you don't have it inside of you, if you don't have that happiness, what's it all about and and, and why? And so I, I just remind myself of that as I travel, how fortunate I am that I'm able to travel and, and where I am and locale well, that I'm in, but to be happy as best I can wherever I am and and just to in, enjoy the journey of Getting to the destination, but knowing that the journey of getting there is is uh, really where where it's at. That's awesome. You appreciate. Uh, you're smelling the roses,
0: in essence. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. And what about you, Steve? With your traveling and
2: well, um, I'm very fortunate in that I, I have a, a large boat, which I'm on right now. Like a why we. The call. I'm about three hours from reaching New York City right now. I'm in the ocean. Man, I, I take the boat all over the place. I mean, all over the Caribbean and all over Bahamas. And right now we're going to be heading up eventually. We'll be up in Maine. And, I mean, we stop along the way, all these kind of beautiful places. So, I, you know, I love where the boat takes me and all the beautiful destinations. But the name of the boat is Rhythm and Blues. Uh. Now I named the boat that reason <laughs> for a reason, a couple of reasons. The main reason is I kind of believe there's a rhythm in life, and the boat helps me have that rhythm. So wherever you are, I, I, it's a rhythm. There's Sometimes you work, sometimes you rest. Sometimes you're pruned back to grow. Uh, sometimes you, you, you have to, to be in this rhythm. And I kind of believe, and while I have the fortunate – Um, uh, ability of time to manage my own time more than, say, someone who's really, really tied up in an everyday business. I believe you have to rest to work, not work to rest. And it's out of your rest that you'll have the energy to work. And, and go forward. So the rhythm r- reminds me that, and I love blue oceans. I mean, we had a blue ocean opportunity. Entrepreneurs love blue oceans. I mean, there are entrepreneurs who are who fight out the bloody red oceans through all a lot of competitors. But I love the blue ocean <laughs> and seeing opportunity and being creative and being to discover new new places and new things. So um, you know that, that's one of my passions. Cool, cool, cool. And I like rhythm and blues. I play music, so yeah, there you go. <laughs> It's always well, music too. That,
0: that's cool. That's see, that's there. It all. It all (laughs) so I know you guys um, and I didn't mention earlier I know you guys do have a cigar company what's the name of the cigar company you guys have
1: The, the cigar company is called Corban and it's actually it's an interesting story because it's the cigar company that never should have been, <laughs> and this is this is before we we sold the business. Uh, what we we spoke a little bit about, and and it's worth revisiting uh, for all the entrepreneurs out there. Is you know you see it in in the movies, you you read about it uh, of uh, you know how how. Fun it can be, you know, the glory that goes along with it. But the the truth is, as uh, as most entrepreneurs know, it's not really like that most of the time. Uh, most of the time, it is it's a grind, and you're just um, out there. And uh, like Steve said earlier, failing more times than not. You know, when we started what I call Mbanet Two, the that that's uh, where we look to put ourselves out of business with the 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 new concept that we have. Here we were flying all across the country. And we were failing. We were literally failing forward. Uh, We were having all no's. We didn't have any yeses. People thought we were crazy. And so what ended up happening was uh, between the two of us, we would end up having a cigar, uh, particularly after a, a hard day or a rejection. And over the cigar, we would talk about the meeting, what worked, what didn't work, what could we do better, what did we miss, why wasn't it happening, and at, at the end of the cigar, we would then talk about what do we like about the cigar. And this went on for a number of years. And then one day we were talking and it, it became apparent that a really good cigar, not a good cigar, a great cigar can take a harsh moment and have it a little bit softer, a little bit easier, a little bit better. And a great cigar can take A fantastic moment and just crystallize it and make it that much better. And so we said, you know, life is tough enough as it is. What if, and as crazy as it sounds, what if we could create a cigar for the sole purpose of celebrating life's magic moments? Hmm. Sounds good, but let's talk reality here for just a moment. (laughs) You had two, two gringos, two white guys. Uh We, we, We don't, don't speak a word of Spanish we're not tobacco blenders or farmers is <laughs> not in our family how the heck do you do that? And and we didn't know. Uh, uh-huh. But you know, it goes back to the passion that we spoke a little bit earlier about, and and the grit. So you can picture these two gringos, aka Jeffrey and Steve, in <laughs> in the fields of Central America, uh-huh. uh, not uh, speaking much Spanish, but speaking to a, a tobacco farmer. How do you grow the world's best tobacco? Or speaking to a blender, how do you blend the the you know world's best cigar? And there again, we were literally. Failing forward, we people thought we lost our marbles. I mean, we, we knew we were crazy, but this meant we were certifiably crazy. We left the business, left our families, and we were in Central America going from cigar house to cigar house. Trying to take what was in our heart and and in our mind and and have it come to uh, reality. Uh, easier said than done. Uh, there, there's a whole long story to that, which we we don't have the time for okay. on this call. But but needless to say, it took over half a decade. Wow. And, okay. and uh, almost giving up. Uh, many times, but it's the old three feet from gold uh, from, you know, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. He, he tells a story of how these mining prospectors had some initial success and uh, of getting gold. And uh, the gold vein just stopped and they just gave up, uh, sold their equipment they uh, for pennies on the dollar to the junkyard guy. And they went home penniless and, and broke. Uh, the junkyard guy was smart and he hired a geologist. And sure enough, the geologist... Found the the vein of gold, and I I don't know if this is a uh, urban legend or true story of of the gold that was found was one of the largest uh, ever uh, in um, in the area, and the geologist said and uh, said in the story, and it's always stuck with me. He said, you know, what? it's interesting. The the prospectors who gave up had they only gone three feet to the right, they would have had their gold. You know, so three feet from gold, and that's what uh, we always remind ourselves as entrepreneurs. You know, oftentimes we're three feet from gold. Don't give up. Just try that little bit extra, and and that's what it was with us. Uh, so we created this uh, cigar. It's um, well, Steve, do you do you want to talk about the uh, the leaves and where they come from and the tobacco.
2: Well, I mean, just briefly, I mean, if you're asking about cigars, I mean, this has seven leaves. Uh, we Obviously, from Nicaragua is where we we, we ended up making the cigar, but the tobacco also comes from Honduras and Panama and a little bit of a, a Mexican. And, um, I mean, it's a very long story. Yeah. <laughs> we really can't get into the details. <laughs> but this cigar... Um, we made it for ourselves, and, and as it, we made it, we brought it back, and other people wanted it. We said, we just made this for ourselves. Our task was to make the best cigar in the world. Well, yeah. lo well, and behold, we went back. We made some cigars for other people, and, uh, and it you know, takes 350 people to make this one cigar. And so now wow. we've got a small group of people around the country who are our VIP members who get the cigar every month. And uh, That's cool, we man. created a, a real... Um, group for ourselves, so it's been a, a great journey.
0: That's awesome, that's awesome man. Okay, so then, you know, just to kind of close up the podcast, I just I always ask this one kind of big closing question, it's a, it's just a sentence where uh, basically, finish this sentence uh, Jeffrey is Jeffrey
1: is making a difference.
0: Perfect and Steve Steve is
2: Steve is um, helping people find their calling
0: perfect wow all right guys you guys you got it (laughs) so in closing how does someone get hold of you socially jeffrey um and as well as steve if you guys want to give out those if you guys are on twitter instagram however you guys someone wants to get a hold of you
1: Uh, absolutely Uh, for myself the best place would be my website which is my name jeffreythelderberg.com and from there you'll uh, you can see the articles that I write about entrepreneurship and uh, selling a company and uh, just uh, different uh, stories a- along the way. And you can link out to all the different social media from there. Okay. What about you, Steve?
2: Um, for me, I mean, you'll find, you'll find me on LinkedIn, there's um, various places, or you can send me an email, uh, mail, M-A-I-L, at stevenwells.com S-T-E-P-H-E-N-W-E-L-L-S.com
0: all right perfect or try to search for you on your boat right
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh yes, i'll give out my satellite number there
0: you go there you go (laughs) well i want to thank you gentlemen again for your time your story and and your knowledge i truly appreciate that and just uh you know thank you for all everything for the inspiration and 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 big time on the the topic that you guys covered you guys did wonderful and and i've learned a lot from you too so thank you thank you thank you